0: Welcome to the first episode of Nancy's Next Chapter, a podcast about coping with life's transitions. I am Leslie Wake Webster, a television writer and producer living in Los Angeles. I'm 48 years old and I am here with my mom, who inspires me with her resilience in the face of change. Mom,
1: introduce yourself. I am Nancy Wake, Leslie's mom, which is such a pleasure to say. I am 81 years old. And it has been such a revelation to me to think back to a very long, happy life and think I have reached that point, particularly since Leslie's dad died a year and a half ago. And I have had to transition myself from being so dependent on so many things for him to do, like, if I couldn't get something on the computer, he would just say, let me fix that for you. And he didn't get frustrated like I would if the, after three tries, it didn't work. <laughs> Which brings me to think about my favorite new T-shirt it says, just once, I would like my username and prompt to say, close enough. (laughs) That's the dream. Uh Yes, close enough. They're like, yes, Nancy, we know it's
0: you. Come on into the website.
1: (laughs) But I am at a point now where I am better able to think ahead and realize I'm in pretty good health, I think. And Mm -hmm. it's not just enough to just exist and let what happens happen. I need to take an active part in that. And so this is where I am and where uh, I think our recent experience at Canyon Ranch was so valuable because it gave me a language to describe what I'm feeling and what I think is ahead for me in the future. Yes. Well, so for any listeners who aren't
0: caught up on our immediate (laughs) exploits, my mom and my sister Conley Wakezani and I spent almost a week at Canyon Ranch Spa in Tucson and we got to think about our health and take yoga classes and meditation classes and talk with people about Uh, you know, mental, emotional, and spiritual sort of health and where we wanted to go. It was very special, yes. It really was, and I feel like it, the timing of it was great for you because you have been thinking about, you know, you you were sort of in survival mode the first year after dad passed, like you were just taking care of alerting people that he was no longer alive and changing accounts and getting things in your name and gathering your own information. I know after your experience with the hospital, you really wanted to make sure you had all your information in one place, right? but finally, like you've in the last few months been able to kind of take a breath and go, wait, what's next? And I feel like you said you had a great session with Jean-Marie Mudd at Canyon Ranch. I did. Yeah. What were some of the ways you approached or she approached thinking about the next section of life?
1: I think I started out by telling her that I had expected as time went on, thinking probably that Grief was a linear thing, that my inclination, when something reminded me about your dad, my inclination to think, oh, I should call him and tell him that. I want to share that with him. And instead, I was finding, after a year and a half, and particularly as we approached our anniversary at the end of May, I was finding that there were more things that made me tearful. And I was so surprised. I I didn't expect that to happen. I guess I just thought, well, okay, you've had time to get used to your life without him and to making decisions that you've never had to make before. And so that seemed like such an opposite reaction to what. And so she was able to walk me verbally through some of that and particularly expressing that this was not unusual at all Uh and there would always be things that brought that tearful reaction no matter how long it was and she was particularly effective i think because she had been through the death of a spouse experience herself And so she could relate in that way, and I was also sharing with her that before your dad died, and when someone died that had reached an age where you weren't surprised, I never quite knew what to say that conveyed my sense of wanting to connect with that person, but I didn't know the words to do that. And she, she shared some things that she had found helpful. But I said, now that I've been through that experience, I find if someone says, oh, I know exactly how you feel. And I'm angry. I just want to back up and haul off and sometimes sock them in the no- mouth and say, <laughs> no, you don't know how I feel. Because we've had different uh, anyway. So it was very healing to me to be able to say these things to someone who accepted the fact that I was feeling this and didn't try to say, no, you don't feel that way. Of course, I did feel
0: that way. Do you remember any of the, because I would like to know any of the things that she suggested that were helpful. Like I I tend to just go with an I'm so sorry. And I know that I really liked when I was reading all the sympathy cards that people sent you. My favorite thing was not when people tried to Tell us it was going to be okay or that this was part of some plan. Or my favorite thing was just people who shared an anecdote. And then there was a story about dad and sometimes I knew the story and sometimes I didn't. And the ones that I didn't were like especially meaningful because it was neat to like have this snapshot of how he'd impacted someone else's life.
1: Well, and this is one of the things she suggested. Share something that you think will be meaningful to that person about the person who has passed you know, your experience with them. Just so they know that you're feeling a different kind of loss than they are. And you yeah. want to connect with their sense of loss. A friend from church in Somerset, the youth minister that Nori had uh helped through a tough time in in his his career Uh, sent me a book uh, about grief. Uh, All through it, he had written down things that were memorable about your dad and interactions with your dad. And I treasure that
0: to this day. Oh, I love that. So while you're reading the book, every now and then there's a handwritten memory.
1: Oh, like every three or four pages, there's a note Saying, Nori, help me with this. So in this podcast, we talk a lot about transitions.
0: And losing a spouse is supposed to be the most stressful thing you can undergo and probably the biggest transition in a person's life. But you have gone through other transitions. Uh, when you were a teenager, you moved from rural Wayne County, Kentucky, to the much bigger city of Lexington. You went to a new school there, Lafayette Senior High. You joined the marching band. I moved
1: there. When I was just 15 after my father died, and my mother packed up her four daughters and moved to Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, so I finished high school there, and that's where I met your dad. It was my senior year when he came in with his trombone ego and and said, I want that chair. Because you were
0: first chair, right? You were first chair of the trombone? I trombones. was first chair at
1: that time, yes. yes.
0: This 10th grader shows up with this ego and wants your seat, and does he challenge you for first chair? Was that how it went, a oh, musical he challenge? He did. Yes, he did. And you each, was it wasn't like when I was in high school and we had challenges. I should also put in that I also played trombone, I think partly because I always secretly believed I might meet my future husband that way. <laughs> <laughs> that did not work out for me. No, that, that did not work out for me but uh, we would have challenges by uh, there'd be a piece of music that the band director would play and you'd go behind closed doors and each play. And then the whole band would vote who had done it better. And whoever had done it better got to
1: be first chair. Is that how they did it in Lafayette? I have no recollection. I just remember that I was pretty disgusted that he was coming in as a sophomore and he wanted my chair And lo and behold, he got it. And I remember uh, after I graduated from UK, they had this quarterly sheet that gave great sayings. And one of these was about music. Mm. Uh, And one of the things that I still remember, and I have it posted up in the office, is music is the only language in which you cannot say a mean or sarcastic thing. Oh, that's lovely. And the other thing that just really spoke to me was by a conductor, and I can't remember the name of the conductor, but it said, he said, never look at the trombones. You'll only encourage them. (laughs) That reminds me of another incident that happened that first, my senior year in your dad's. Uh, sophomore year we were doing a parade downtown oh okay in Lexington. Mm-hmm. and uh, we were all in line and I can't remember what the piece of music was but anyway I was so energetic that my slide came off oh no! <laughs> and I was it was like my brain was paralyzed I thought oh, what do I do I can't leave my slide there on um, On the street, yes. Uh. Your dad rescued it. Oh he he got out of line and and brought it to me. And he didn't didn't give me a hard time. He just smiled and said, I think you want this. That is really charming. Isn't that amazing? That was really hard to be very angry at him. <laughs> well, did, did he leverage that into a date? I forget. Did you
0: all go on dates in high school, or did he just pine after you?
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, we went to some sock hops. This would have been in 59.
0: Yes. Well, uh, speaking of sock hops, I remember you saying that Dad was a pretty confident dancer. Oh, my
1: gosh. He, he was a show-off dancer. He loved to dance, and he would make up interesting moves and i felt so out of it coming from a small county rural background um, yes i don't think we even had heard of sock ops in wayne county kentucky so
0: we decided to call this podcast nancy's next chapter because there are lots of different chapters in life but it's also appropriate because you love to read mom do you have any literary recommendations for us this week i just finished a great book And you may want to cut this out. Well, that's okay. Let's talk about everything, and we'll cut what we need to cut.
1: Okay, but I want you to get this book. Oh, okay. What is it? It's called 800 Grapes. Okay, Okay. I'm writing that down. And the author is Laura Dave. This is about a family and the father's vision of how to make grapes. Wine, <laughs> and that's where that's where the eight hundred grapes. Uh, okay, I, I'm going to uh, pause
0: uh, uh, to provide some context again for for listeners who who may not know our entire life story. Um, back in Kentucky, about fifteen years ago, my dad Nori decided that he would like to grow grapes and make wine, uh, and uh, this was part of his vision be. for. He thought, you know, Kentucky could be a great wine-growing region. There are actually a lot of wineries in Kentucky. Um, but what was tricky about Dad deciding to do this was that he lived in a dry county where it is illegal <laughs> to sell or buy alcohol. And so in order to achieve his vision of a winery, he had to have a, what was it, a petition for a special election? Mm, anyway, yes. it was he, he had it was, to petition. It was quite a to-do and... A lot of people were very much in favor of this. They liked the idea of being able to have alcohol in the county. And then a lot of people were so against it that I think they were preaching against him in the churches, right? They were. Yes, but so 800 grapes would be especially meaningful. Okay, I interrupted you in your uh, summing up of 800 grapes. Well, I was
1: just going to read you this preface. You have to grow about 800 grapes to get just one bottle of wine. If that isn't an argument to finish the bottle, I don't know what is. <laughs> and the quote is by Anonymous. But that's part, this is a lovely story, and it's more about family dynamics than it is about anything else. So I highly recommend, and don't start it on a day when you have appointments. Are other things that you need to do because you will want to sit down and not stop? I read it in one oh, afternoon. Oh, it's a page turner. Okay. Uh, I
0: love that. Uh, Sounds like is, a great, a great book to take to the beach or out to your hammock. And Oh, my gosh, yes. It is. So... I think the last segment I was thinking we should do is uh, is about your next chapter. And the as you and I were talking at Canyon Ranch, sort of the various things that you are thinking about. Um, for example, I know you were thinking about maybe trying to find a volunteer activity. Right. Um, wow. like, because you wanted to do something where you could have an impact outside of the house. Right? Um, is that is that accurate to say? You wanted to like do something where yes, you felt like well, you were making a difference.
1: Just create something for someone else besides just thinking about what I need to do for myself personally. Mm -hmm. And I realize I have an impact on Conley's life. Yes. And, you know, and, and I hope to some extent, although it's hard to tell on my grandson's (laughs) (laughs)
0: And and we should also again explain uh, my sister Conley, her husband Mike and their two sons Wake and Wyatt live four doors down from my mom uh, in Rhode Island so you you all have a lot of meals together, you do about half the cooking and you are often the carpool chauffeur, although less so now that your oldest grandson is driving Right.
1: Oh, one of the things that I want to do is be more outreaching in terms of volunteering to do something that will have an impact, hopefully for good, on someone else's life, if nothing more than to just create some pleasure. And the first thing that comes to mind is, of course, my keyboard experience. Yes. I sight read well, and for people that are close to my age, certainly in this generation, I can play all of the old hymns, things that probably are not very meaningful for their children and their, and certainly not their grandchildren, but are very meaningful for them in the same way that just playing them gives me pleasure.
0: Well, and I, I think there are studies that show that hearing a piece of music that was meaningful to you when you were younger really, like, can be transporting and good for your mental and emotional right. health. And, uh, and also, I think we should share with anyone listening that you have been, you were the church pianist when you were in third grade, right? You played the hymns in church. About
1: third or fourth grade because we went to this small, rural Baptist Church. And I can't remember what happened to the regular pianist there, but they needed someone who could, and I had just started lessons. So that was a compulsive kind of, you better get this down quick. And it was wonderful training because I never knew what him was going to be selected And I'm sure there were many times that I just kind of hopped around. But I could at least keep most people on key. And they really didn't care. They really didn't care. That was a a great learning experience. Well, I think that's such a good
0: idea and a good... We we were drawing sort of a Venn diagram of this at Canyon Ranch. That's a great intersection of your your skills and things you enjoy and something that is could fill a need and provide something for other people
1: right so those are the key words that i think i i went to canyon ranch you know i want to do something that provides something for other people not just myself
0: Well, Mom, I think this has been a good first podcast, and we should wrap it up. Oh, I'm glad you think so. Yes. Leslie,
1: I love our conversations. I do, too. You know so much. Well, now you know how to do this, too. (laughs) Maybe after about 10 times, I will remember how to do all of this.
0: (laughs) Well, that was already very successful. We activated voice memos. Thanks for listening to Nancy's Next Chapter. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at nancywakepodcast at gmail.com. That's N-A-N-C-Y-W-A-K-E podcast at gmail.com. We'd like to thank Peter Schlosser for editing and producing this episode. Our theme music is the song Beautiful Dreamer, written by Stephen Foster, played by none other than Nancy Wake herself.